It's Tuesday, November the 3rd, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist, sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, election fever in America and deadly attacks in Kabul and Vienna. First, the world in brief. America hit fever pitch the night before its big election. Legal efforts to tilt the vote, mainly by tussling over which ballots should be counted, presaged the possibility of a contested outcome after November 3rd. A federal judge in Texas rejected Republicans' attempt to have 127,000 ballots already cast in Houston tossed out. Another Republican challenge to ballot-counting measures was rejected in Nevada. Both President Donald Trump and the Democrats Joe Biden finished up in Pennsylvania, the state most likely to cast the decisive 270th electoral vote for the victor, according to The Economist's election forecast. An attack at Kabul University in Afghanistan left at least 22 people dead and 22 others injured. The hours-long battle ended when three gunmen were killed. The Taliban denied involvement. Violence in Afghanistan has risen recently. Last month, Islamic State jihadists killed more than 40 people in a suicide bomb attack on an education centre in western Kabul. Terrorists shed blood in Austria, too. Gunmen opened fire in six locations around the centre of Vienna, killing at least two people and seriously injuring about 15. One attacker was shot dead by police. At least one remains at large. The rampage came as Austrians took their final chance to enjoy the capital before a coronavirus curfew was reimposed. Anti-French protests continued in Muslim-majority countries with an Islamist coalition in Bangladesh giving the government 24 hours to cut ties with France or face unspecified consequences. President Emmanuel Macron has staunchly defended free expression after a jihadist beheaded a teacher in Paris for showing cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad and another terrorist killed three people at a church in Nice. Twitter, an underperforming social network, will keep its founder, Jack Dorsey, as CEO. Elliott Management, an activist investor group, has been demanding Mr. Dorsey's ouster, bothered by his laissez-faire style and his simultaneous management of Square, a fintech firm. Elliott dropped its demand in a board meeting yesterday, settling for the imposition of tough growth targets. Britain's High Court approved the consolidation of the dual-listed Unilever into a single London-based entity. The way seems clear for the conglomerate's shares to cease trading on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange at the end of November, despite some grumbles in the Netherlands and a proposal by a Dutch opposition party to hit the company with an exit tax. And a Dutch statue showed the value of public sculpture when it kept a train from falling 10 metres to the ground. The metro train in Spekenissa near Rotterdam crashed through a barrier and was left teetering on one of two fins of an artwork called Saved by the Whale's Tail. The driver escaped uninjured, no passengers were on board. And now, here's today's agenda. Decision time, sort of. America's election. American voters go to the polls today only in a partial sense. Nearly 100 million have voted already, thanks to expanded mail-in voting and early in-person voting as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Two states, Texas and Hawaii, have already seen more votes cast than in 2016. 
Joe Biden leads in national polls and virtually all state-by-state forecasts for Electoral College victory. But his supporters cannot shake memories of 2016 when polls overestimated Hillary Clinton's smaller and shakier lead. President Donald Trump insists that only fake polls show Mr Biden ahead. Vote counting is always a long process. This year it will be even more fraught with court challenges over mail-in and other early votes continuing. Some experts fear that partial returns may be favourable to Mr Trump, leading him to declare victory while counting continues. Late arriving votes are more likely to be democratic. Americans deserve swift closure on an exhausting and divisive election. Only a landslide would make that possible. Carrie's Lament, China and Hong Kong Carrie Lam, Hong Kong's chief executive, begins a week-long visit to the mainland today to meet Chinese ministers. She might allow herself a moment of self-congratulation. Hong Kong's potentially embarrassing legislative elections have been postponed and rowdy Hong Kongers demanding greater democracy have been brought to heel by China's draconian national security law. It is not just people being suppressed. COVID-19 is too. Locally transmitted cases have hovered around zero for weeks. The border with the mainland should reopen shortly. Yet Mrs Lam may feel some anxiety. Hong Kong's importance to China is diminishing. It remains a financial conduit between China and the world, as a bumper year of Chinese tech flotations shows. But in 1997, when Britain handed the territory back, its economy was equivalent to 18.4% of the mainland's. It is now 2.7%. And while President Xi Jinping plans to make the Greater Bay Area an economic powerhouse, he increasingly sees Shenzhen, not Hong Kong, as its centre. Almost zero interest, Australia's monetary policy. Australia's second most populous state, Victoria, is only just emerging from a 112-day lockdown. But central bankers reckon that the national economy beat it out of a COVID-induced slumber, eking out some growth in the third quarter. That does not mean that Australia's travails are over. Unemployment is rising and inflation is well below the Reserve Bank's target of 2-3%. to So today it cut interest rates from 0.25% to 0.1%. To encourage lending, the bank will allow financial institutions to borrow at that reduced rate from a funding pot worth 200 billion Australian dollars, 140 billion US dollars that it set up in March. There will be more quantitative easing as well. Australia has done less bond buying than more COVID-stricken countries, but has now committed to purchasing another 100 billion Australian dollars or more of government debt. If this lowers a strong exchange rate, so much the better. A cheaper Australian dollar would boost Australia's exports. Slimming down to bulk up the London Stock Exchange. The London Stock Exchange Group will today ask for shareholders' approval to sell Borsa Italiana, Italy's only securities market, to Euronext, a markets operator based in France, for 4.3 billion euros, $5 billion. The deal is big for Euronext, which has a market capitalization of only 6.3 billion euros. But it will have help in the form of a 700 million euro investment from Casa Depositi e Prestiti Equity, a bank controlled by Italy's government, and Intesa San Paolo, Italy's biggest bank. Offloading Borsa could help the LSE get bigger. 
Last year, the firm agreed to buy Refinitiv, a financial data provider, for $27 billion. But European competition authorities have held the deal up over worries about the power that a combined LSE Refinitiv would exert over bond markets. The firm is shedding Borsa to satisfy the regulators. The LSE can hardly complain about the sale, however. It will provide a tidy return on the 1.6 billion euros it paid for the exchange in 2007. Holiday Spirit, Japan's Constitution People across Japan are gathering today to celebrate Bunka no Hi, or Culture Day, albeit in smaller numbers than usual because of the COVID-19 pandemic. The seemingly anodyne holiday, officially dedicated to the appreciation of Japanese arts and culture, has a colourful history. First observed in 1868 to mark the birthday of the Meiji Emperor, it was rebranded to celebrate the announcement of Japan's pacifist post-war constitution in 1948. Revising that constitution to make Japan's armed forces explicitly legal was a lifelong mission of Abe Shinzo. But Mr Abe stepped down as Prime Minister this September after nearly eight years in office, with the constitution unchanged. Although Suga Yoshihide, Mr Abe's successor and former Chief Cabinet Secretary, has paid lip service to the idea of revision, he has other priorities such as managing the pandemic, digitizing Japan's economy and tackling climate change. Culture Day seems unlikely to be rebranded again in the near future. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Richard Hooker, who died on this day in 1600. Words must be taken according to the matter whereof they are uttered. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.